No Exit with Nicholas Goris contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. How the hell could I fall asleep in a damn graveyard? Aaron thought to himself, rubbing his eyes. Though the sleep was brief, he looked everywhere around him to make sure that no one or no thing was watching him. Then he was panicked to realize where he had fallen asleep at next to a cracked, browning tombstone on top of a grave. The letters were worn off, and there was moss growing on it. Though there was fog everywhere, he could see that the nearby graves were also old and worn with decades of age. Weeds and ingrown grass stuck up from the dirt and stone crevasses. He didn't realize exactly when, but he had wandered into a particularly old part of the graveyard when he had been walking. He took a look at the digital recorder still in his hand and remembered something. There was a sound that brought him here. He had stopped on the recorder and went back on it 20 minutes. He held it up to his ear and remembered what it was he was trying to find before he sat on what he thought was behind a tombstone and fell asleep. Somewhere through all the hissing and white noise he could hear it. A chorus of faint cries and moans. Long, sorrowful cries elongated and bent in the darkness, not just by one voice itself but a few. A drag of ethereal wailing. A cold feeling spread through him as he listened. He hit the stop button on the recorder, and then the cold feeling spread on out of him when he realized he could still hear it, cutting a trail of sound through the fog. He let his devices fall to the side, bouncing on their straps as he made his way step by step into the sound. Normally, he would want to catch every whisper or flicker either with his camera or his recorder, but he didn't want to touch them now. His feet, crunching on the rocks and dirt, had led him to a withered old oak tree that had thick, twisted branches jutting from the top. The sound of the wailing was now an echo in his mind, as the tree gave him an odd, elated feeling whenever he went about it. Then he noticed something. Three things. Three old, dirty, tattered pieces of rope, frayed at the end, stirring gently in the wind. My god, what happened here? He closed his eyes and settled his mind. Oh, three of you. German immigrants? But something's not right. Just how old were all of you? His eyes shot open. No, that's horrible. Why, though? Why would anyone do that? Hands placed at his lap where he stood. His eyes jiggled around in a following motion. Oh, I see. Pranks, jokes, children's games gone too far, and... Oh, what What else? <laughs> oh, oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't think that's funny. I mean, that's certainly funny in and of itself. But no one deserves to die because of things like that. What's, what's that? Oh, I'll help you. Of course I'll help. That's why I come here. Why, I do just about anything. Yes? Oh. Well, all right, if that's what you want. I suppose I'll do it. Aaron flicked the high beam on on his flashlight and made his way back through the cemetery, back to the place where he had fallen asleep on. Though he had little trouble retracing his steps, he eventually found the unmistakable thin tombstone that he had rested his back upon. He wiped the lichen and moss of the front, and his face stilled itself when he saw the name. Raymond Cestus Arnold, 
Town Undertaker. Aaron sighed, watching his breath steam out into the cold night air. He stood up and looked around him on the ground. He found a large rock sticking out of the wet ground nearby and peeled it out of the soil, taking it back underneath his arm. He rubbed his face and sighed again. Look, his free hand twirled around, trying to find the words. I would apologize, but I'm afraid it wouldn't be appropriate. However, I just want you to know that normally this would go against everything I believe in. I'm sure you understand. Aaron brought the rock up and smashed it through the tombstone of Raymond Cestus Arnold, using all of his strength, then stood there, gasping for air, his face flush with his own nerves, tingling like frayed wires. He was, without a doubt, shocked to find himself doing what he had just did. I, I did it, he said, back at the tree, wiping the sweat off his bald head with a dirty hand and nearly panting. Did, did you see? No, of, uh, of course, I, I didn't hesitate because... No, I, I was just telling him. N no, I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I'm terribly sorry. Well, well no, of, of course I'd do another thing. I mean, if it would help. Help you go on. Please, tell me. Three days later, Aaron was on a Greyhound bus rolling across county lines. He had decided to throw on an old tie and a button-up shirt he had lying in the back of his closet. He never really felt comfortable in what would be called fancy clothes and felt smothered in them, almost like being wrapped up in cotton sausage casing. Nevertheless, he kept his itchy tie in place, hoping that this foul, not well-put-together drapery would make him seem more believable today. He came in through the front door of the Sunwise Village retirement home and the faint smell of feces, disinfectant, and sick people hit his nostrils. He watched a man in scrubs spoon-feed butterscotch pudding into an old woman's mouth and Aaron dropped his head down to look at the floor, fidgeting with his tie. Uh, hello, he said to the woman in the magenta scrubs behind the counter. Uh, hi, I'm looking for a man named, uh, Jared Castile? I just wanted to pay him a visit, if that's alright. The woman looked up from her glasses and studied him for a moment. She then peered down and he could see the reflection of her tapping on the keyboard in front of her on those same tortoiseshell glasses. Well, we do have a Mr. Jared Castile. Spirits had been right. They had led him exactly to where he needed to go and found exactly who he needed to find. This was unfortunate, as he sort of hoped he could give this all up and catch the next possible bus out of here. Great, he said. May I ask the nature of this visit? Are you family? She asked. Oh no, not, not family, he said, standing up straight. He rehearsed this whole bit on the bus. He was, uh, as a matter of fact, in the army with my own father. I just wanted to ask him a few questions about the time they spent together. It would mean a great deal to me. We just recently lost him. The woman blinked at him. His own father was a mechanic from Pittsburgh who was afraid to use a voice chat on his smartphone. He'd never been anywhere near anything a military in his life. Aaron smiled at her. Well, I suppose you can talk to him for a little bit, but only if he wants to. 
He's in 3A, and I'm serious, just for a little bit. He's got a cardiology appointment at 2. He thanked her, his red face nodding and smiling. As he walked away, he took a breath out and loosened his tie just a bit. It was good that he got in, but that, he knew, wasn't going to be the hardest part of this whole thing. Hello, sir, said Aaron, though he had hardly felt like his plastic smile was still holding up by this point. The bright, blue-eyed old man in the stained flannel looked him over without so much a nod and simply said, Hello, who are you? Hi, uh, Aaron repeated, wiping his sweaty hands off on his trousers. Look, uh, my name is Aaron, and I, I promise I'm not going to take up too much of your time here, but I, I just have a very quick question for you. I'll try not to be a bother. He swallowed and loosened his tie almost completely off. Do you remember ever being at the Willow Judge Cemetery? Um, ever? The old man looked completely stone and did not betray the fact that he was trying to assess Aaron for every moment in his eyes as he probed him. I don't know. If this is about life insurance or funeral arrangements, I'm not interested. Oh, no, no, absolutely nothing like that, said Aaron, holding out his palms. It was a relief to be so straightforward for once this whole time. This has nothing to do with money or anything like that, I, I promise. Look, I'll, I'll be as blunt as I can, sir. I'm a, I'm a ghost hunter. I go into cemeteries and I take pictures and I make recordings of sounds. And the other night I saw something. Well, I didn't actually see it, but I heard it. What's this about, said the old man. There's a tree, a tree at the edge of the cemetery, a shriveled up oak tree, and a very, very long time ago, they used to hang people there. Well, um, actually, they only hung three people there, uh, children, three small boys, three small boys who played pranks and were very mischievous, and one day they made a mistake, and they hurt someone. It was an accident. The old man took his gaze off Aaron for just a second and stared into nothing, the breathing from his nose becoming heavier. And one day, a long time after this, there was another little boy who came into the cemetery. And he saw these three little ghosts hanging from that tree, and he laughed at them. He laughed at those poor spirits wiggling in the throes of pain, even in death, of all the things. No, no, said the old man, starting to tremble just a little bit. You don't understand. That was so long ago. How would you? I never told anyone that. So it was you. You were the little boy who laughed at them. No, please, I don't know what this is. It wasn't like that. I was scared. I was so scared out of my mind. I was a little boy, too. It was horrible. I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't even know if those were real. Those horrible, gaunt faces and those black, sunken eyes looking out at me. I don't want to think about it. I can't think about it. Well, I mean, let me ask you this. How do you think they felt? I mean, you're still right here, and they didn't make it past that age. How would you feel if- No, said the old man, pounding down on the armrest of his wheelchair with a startling strength. 
Shut up. It's not right. It's not... The old man held his chest and started to lean over in his chair while his eyes rolled up into his head and his body convulsed. Aaron stood up and froze at first, unsure of what to do with himself. Then he stuck his head out the door to yell for help. A pair of men in scrubs from opposite sides of the hall came running down and into the room. What happened? One of the men asks. I don't know. We were just talking. One of them tried to get the old man onto his back while the other hit a red button in the hall. A soft alarm honked through the air, and with near seconds the room was filled with nurses, shoving him out the door. Aaron sat watching the man convulse on the floor, and then turned his head away, walking down the hall. He pulled the tie off his neck and let it fall to the floor, then made his way out to the front. He could hear the ambulance rescue sirens in the distance. No one had tried to stop him as he left. Aaron rolled out of his bed and walked into his kitchen. He opened up his refrigerator and stared into the nearly empty shelves, letting its glow and electrical hum wash over him. He popped open a can of sparkling water from the door, took one sip, and placed it onto the counter with no intention of finishing it. He went back to his room and sat on the edge of his bed. Every light in his apartment was on right now, and yet none of it seemed to make him feel any safer or more comfortable indoors. He couldn't stop thinking about what had happened after he came back to the tree after the retirement home. I can't do that. I won't do it. It's just not right. I come here to help the dead, not to get them here. He went into the bathroom and looked at himself staring back at himself in the mirror in his tidy whities and bit his lip. He looked like a mess, a sweaty, sunken-eyed mess. He flicked open the medicine cabinet and hunted through the numerous bottles of vitamins and pills. I know, I know, and I'm sorry, I just can't. It's not right. You can't possibly expect me to do such a thing. Please! He undid the top and tried to shake two pills out of an orange bottle, and the whole thing came pouring out into his hand and on the countertop. He watched them fall one by one, as if it were happening in slow motion. Please, please stop the crying. No, that's the most horrible sound I've ever heard. No! Stop! Aaron dropped the bottle in the sink and leaned over the counter, head dipped down. He shut his eyes tight and brought his hands up to cover his ears. Though he knew the only immediate thing he could hear right now was the buzz of the electricity and the hum of the highway. His teeth sunk into his lips and blood dribbled down and onto the spilled pills and the countertop. And then he started to scream. He pulled the mirror from the medicine cabinet off and threw it into a shower, where it shattered into pieces, then flung the pills off the counter with an angry brush and they scattered everywhere. He stomped to his closet to get his clothes and a few other things he might need. He checked the time on his phone and hoped that if he had timed it just right, everything could fall into place like it needed to. Ding-dong went the doorbell. Hang on, honey, I'll get it, he heard from the inside. Soon, a man opened the door and greeted him. He wore an untucked polo shirt and had a buzzing electrical razor pressed to his face. 
Aaron stood in front of him, hand behind his back, and a frozen deer-in-the-headlights look in his eyes that didn't seem to faze the man in any way. Um, hello. Uh, I'm sorry to bother you so early, sir. I just had a quick question. I'm from the, uh, Historical Society, and I'm doing a little bit of local research into the town's history. Uh, for the college. Anyway, are you perchance Robert Bilchin? Oh, yes, I am, said the man, still shaving. I was just on my way out, but I can answer a few questions for a fellow bulldog. Am I right? <laughs> Aaron didn't get the term bulldog at first, then remembered that this was the mascot for the state college. He mustered a feeble grin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, well, I'm doing a thing on genealogy, and I was told that you, on your mother's side, had a great-great-grandfather who was a judge in Cranton County. I believe his name was Eustat Everett Kornos, and it was here at the founding? Am I correct on this? The man shut off his razor and looked into the air before him, as if thinking out loud. Yes, I, I do believe that's correct. Really? said Aaron, starting to tremble more. Are you absolutely sure? Yes, said the man, making direct eye contact now. I am, actually. He is indeed a part of my family. Aaron whipped the ball-peen hammer he'd be hiding behind his back straight across the man's face. The force nearly spun him around, splattering blood everywhere, and left him holding himself up in the doorframe. He tried to speak in a wide-eyed daze, searching for any kind of words until Aaron came down on his head again and leaving a series of golf-ball-sized holes in the man's cranium. His eyes rolled back, slurring in a mush of muddled sounds and groans. He slumped down in the doorway, half inside his home, and then fell face-first onto this concrete porch. Aaron shook with trembling waves throughout his body. He reached down and tried to feel a pulse on the man's neck, blood dribbling down on his face and his shirt cuffs, just to make sure the job had been done. Then, he heard a woman's voice call from back inside the house. Robert? Who is it? What's going on? Aaron wiped the blood off the hammer on the inside of his flannel shirt and made his way back to the car, eyes darting out everywhere on the block. He climbed back into his running car and stomped the gas pedal down, screeching his way out of the neighborhood. Aaron made his way straight from the neighborhood back to the graveyard. He hurtled his way over stone walls and mazes of graves, straight on over to the dead boy's tree, then collapsed on his knees with his blood-soaked hands twitching limp at his side. I did it! I fucking did it! There! That's it! It's done! It's over now! I can't do it anymore! It's done! You can go now. You have to go now. With his face buried in his blood-soaked hands, Aaron expected some kind of response, but felt nothing. There was no chill, no breeze in the air, no songs, no cries or riddles. Hello! He called out, crying, and felt no response. For the first time, the tree was silent. A small smile lifted from beneath the blood splatter on his face, and tears dripped out of his eyes onto the black dirt. I did it. I did it. His hands found his face again, and then he buried his tears in them, shaking as he cried, and then silence. It felt 
almost magical. Until the blasting sounds of police sirens cut through the fog and stone. Aaron lay shaking, tears still streaming down his face. No use in running or hiding by this juncture. He knew he would just sit here and take his punishment. After all, that's what was right, in the end. Aaron sat up, wiped the snot off his face, and opened up his eyes. What he saw made him gasp, then freeze in place. Three spectral little bodies dangling from ghostly ropes floated before him. Lifeless, ethereal drips of children with pale faces and blackened eye holes that sagged into themselves as if they had dripped inward like candle wax. They hung, stirring motionless until the little bodies jiggled and shook in terrible delight as they laughed, as they cackled, pointing at him, soaked in the mud of graveyard and splattered in another man's blood. And they did so until the voice of the law cut through the air. Freeze, buddy! Hands where I can see him! Aaron sat on his knees with his mouth open and his eyes blank. His handcuffs were slapped on his wrists. <laughs> Listening to No Exit with Nicholas Corice.